If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'd like to ask that you stick around to the end of the episode for a trailer from our friend's podcast, Murderific. Host Bernadette covers everything from serial killers and mass murderers to missing persons and unsolved cases. So please stay tuned for that and give Murderific a listen. There are plenty of episodes to binge, too, if that's your thing. Now on to the episode. The Gone Cold Podcast may contain violent or graphic subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. In El Paso, Texas, on Wednesday, November 11th, 1970, Veterans Day, military units from Fort Bliss and other installments marched the city's downtown streets in honor of each other, those who served before them, and soldiers to come. Escorted by the El Paso Police and the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, the Army, Navy, and the Marines were represented. Proudly joining them were local school district ROTC units who provided demonstrations of line formations and drills. Several high school marching bands accompanied the 62nd Army Marching Band as martial music echoed off the downtown buildings. Floats featuring groups such as the Disabled American Veterans and the Retired Officers Association slowly strolled the streets passing a bareheaded crowd, their hats in hand out of respect for the veterans' service. Thousands filled downtown El Paso for the parade on the warm and sunny day, the children gawking at the real-life war weapons, tactical demonstrations, and enormous missiles on display through the desert city streets. The day of celebration likely ended for most El Paso residents without a hitch, drastically less eventful than the festivities they had spent the late morning and noon hour participating in. It was back to work for citizens the following day, and back to school for the kids. One El Paso resident's day, however, ended in terror. That night, Doris Lorraine Rivers' life was brutally and unthinkably taken. Oklahoma on May 17, 1949, to Delbert and Bernice Rivers. Doris Lorraine Rivers moved to El Paso, Texas in 1968. 
Doris was 19 years old at the time, and along with her three-year-old son, Devon, shared a small apartment with her sister, Barbara, in the central part of the desert city on South Glenwood Drive. She got a job at one of the Farrah Manufacturing Company plants in El Paso as a garment cutter. The company, at the time, was the largest manufacturer of boys' and men's pants in the U.S., the Farrah Company supplied trousers to virtually every major department store in the country and in 1970 was El Paso's second largest employer with five of their 11 plants located there. On November 11, 1970, Veterans Day, Doris's sister Barbara left the apartment they shared with a now five-year-old Devon and some neighbors to go to the movies. They left at approximately 7 p.m., Doris stayed behind for reasons unknown. Perhaps the young woman was expecting company or had a date of her own. In 1970, El Paso was home to several drive-in theaters, which generally show double features, and presumably Barbara, Devon, and their neighbors went to one of those drive-ins since they didn't get back to the apartment for several hours. At around 1 a.m. that night, now Thursday, November 12th, Barbara and Devon returned home. Neither were prepared for the gruesome sight they saw as they entered. In the living room, the glow of the television illuminated the bloody body of Doris Lorene Rivers, who laid sprawled on the floor, partially disrobed and lifeless. Barbara called police immediately. They responded to the scene, and Doris was pronounced dead at 1.14 a.m. The cause of Doris's death was obvious, even as her body laid still and undisturbed. She'd been stabbed multiple times. Upon inspection of the scene, it became clear that two kitchen knives were missing, leading detectives to surmise that those utensils were the murder weapons. Police questioned Barbara and the neighbors, attempting to develop a lead on who would do such a thing to the 21-year-old mother but they couldn't imagine why anyone would hurt her. After investigators inspected the scene, Doris Lorene Rivers' body was taken to Providence Memorial Hospital to undergo an autopsy. It was determined that Doris had been stabbed a total of five times in her side, back, and neck. Alongside the stab wounds to Doris's neck was a superficial wound to the throat thought to have been caused after she'd already died. In her back, the broken blade of her own butcher knife remained. Although not expounded upon in detail, the medical examiner found evidence that Doris fought back against her assailant, landing at least one blow. There were no signs that Doris was sexually assaulted. Law enforcement scrambled to find a suspect and issued an all-points bulletin for Doris's common-law husband, five-year-old Devon's father. The man was said to live near Chicago, Illinois, but police were told that his car had been recently seen in the El Paso area. It was the obvious place to look. An estranged ex and father of Doris's child provided easy theorizing of a motive for authorities, since detectives were quite familiar with such crimes. There, too, had been no signs of a struggle or forced entry. 
The door to the apartment, in fact, was locked when Barbara and young Devon returned late that night. It didn't take them long, however, to discover that Doris's common-law husband was indeed in Chicago at the time of her slaying. There were no other immediate likely suspects. Most of Doris Rivers' friends and acquaintances were said to have been officers from the Army base Fort Bliss. When detectives found themselves at the base seeking leads, they concentrated their questioning on two specific men, one of which was a soldier stationed there. The men were never publicly named and are said to have no connections to one another at all. One of the individuals was said to have been an ex-boyfriend, the other an acquaintance. Though police eventually charged one of these men in the murder of Doris Rivers, El Paso prosecutors scoffed at the lack of evidence and the uselessness of the evidence. No arrests were made. For 43 years, Doris Rivers' murder case sat in cold storage at El Paso Police Headquarters. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After Doris Loreen Rivers was brutally stabbed five times in her apartment in central El Paso in November of 1970, leaving a five-year-old boy motherless, her case sat dormant, cold, for 43 years. In 2013, the woman's granddaughter, Siobhan, phoned El Paso police seeking information about her grandmother's case. Siobhan didn't even know if the case had been solved and not for her own lack of research. Rather, her grandmother's case received little press. So little press, in fact, that it was impossible to form an educated opinion on whether or not El Paso investigators' efforts were diligent and leads were exhausted. Soon, though, current detectives would insist that police had indeed been on the right track. Siobhan got the attention of El Paso detective Michael Amon, who immediately took interest. Though Doris's murder was a part of the city's official cold case files, Detective Amon explained, It was not really on our radar because of its age, he said, continuing, Back then, there was no technology. They could not do anything with it. There was no DNA in the 1970s. Now that Siobhan called and piqued the policeman's interest, things got moving, and unlike many cases that have sat around untouched for 40-something years, Detective Amon discovered that the physical evidence had been properly, if not remarkably, stored. The medical examiner commented in 1970 that he believed Doris had fought back against her attacker, and investigators bagged and stored items that were no use to them at the time, but, perhaps, theorized someday would be, including her fingernail clippings, which contained blood. Detective Amon reopened the case, 
and sent the clippings for DNA testing, along with other evidence unnamed at the time, some of which is later determined to be hair found in Doris's hand. Had the fingernail clippings not been impeccably stored, they would have been useless, but when testing results came back, a male DNA profile was obtained. The two men who original investigators had honed in on, but could not gather the evidence to indict, took center stage in the new investigation, too. The first to be compared against the newly obtained DNA profile was Doris Rivers' former love interest. He was swabbed for DNA, and in June 2015, when results came back, they showed the man was not a match. When they tracked down the Fort Bliss soldier in Johnson County, Mississippi, Willie James Johnson, they asked him, too, for a DNA sample, and he consented. On August 5, 2015, a warrant was issued for the man's arrest. Almost two months later, on September 28, 2015, Willie James Johnson was found, arrested, and jailed in a Madison County, Mississippi jail. The 70-year-old man was charged with the 1970 murder of Doris Lorraine Rivers. Both Madison County authorities and the El Paso Crimes Against Persons Unit were involved in Johnson's arrest. As he sat waiting to be extradited to Texas, the El Paso District Attorney fine-tuned the case he'd prepared to lay out for a grand jury. Johnson's records didn't necessarily reflect that of a murderer. His crimes over the years had been minor and few and far between. Original investigators thought Johnson was their guy and theorized that he'd sought a romantic relationship or fling with Doris, that she turned him down and he became violently angry, stabbing her repeatedly. Initial investigators were on the right track, Detective Amon told a reporter. He added that when considering their proper storage of the physical evidence, with no clue that DNA technology was on the horizon, Johnson's arrest was a fluke. Had Siobhan not inquired about the slang of her grandmother too, it's likely the case would still be rotting away in obscurity. The grand jury indicted Willie James Johnson, and Doris Lorraine Rivers' murder case went to trial in late February of 2017. The DNA, essentially, would be the entire basis of the state's case. A lot was on the line. Johnson faced 99 to life, and justice for Doris was long overdue. If the preservation of Doris's fingernail clippings and the blood that lied beneath them was a fluke, as El Paso detective Michael Amon called it, the trial, or lack thereof really, was a catastrophe for the state. 210th District Court Judge Gonzalo Garcia sided with the defense's argument that the evidence against Willie James Johnson was, quote, legally insufficient. The defense questioned the detective's investigation, inquiring as to why they didn't test additional evidence, question the several living witnesses, and pursue other persons of interest. The primary focus of the latter, the other persons of interest, was on a man named Lawrence Richards, Richards, a 22-year-old Marine, was a Vietnam War vet. He lived about six miles from Doris with his wife, child, and three stepchildren. 
Nine days after Doris was murdered, Richards put a 38 caliber pistol to his head and committed suicide. Though a connection between Doris Rivers and Lawrence Richards isn't clear, it's presumed that the two knew each other, and the defense brought the man up because of the proximity of his suicide to Doris's slaying. What the defense was getting at, perhaps, was the possibility that the two had been having an affair. Something went wrong, like Doris threatening to tell Richard's wife. He killed her and couldn't live with what he'd done and took his own life. It was a possibility that the defense said detectives had not investigated. The chain of custody of some of the DNA evidence came into question as well. The defense argued that hair samples taken from Doris's hand were inadmissible because a record of the chain of custody could not be provided. The detective who bagged the hair from Doris's hand had died, and a photograph provided of him taking it from Doris's body was considered blurry, and what the detective was collecting wasn't clear in the picture. DNA taken from the hair sample, prosecutors said, matched Willie Johnson. All it would show is that he was there. Unfortunately, all you had was the alleged hair sample, and there was no establishment of a beginning of the chain of custody, Judge Garcia told the court, adding, There has to be a beginning, and there is no beginning here. Oddly, Judge Garcia even seemed to agree that there was a problem with the fingernail DNA as well. The individual who'd performed the DNA testing on the clippings had since died, therefore they could not testify. Even though an officer witnessed the individual scrape the blood evidence from the nails to be tested, Judge Garcia said, his testimony would be inadmissible. No DNA evidence, then, could be used in the trial, and it was all the state had. Just three days after the trial against Willie James Johnson for the murder of Doris Lorreen Rivers began, Judge Garcia issued a directed verdict of acquittal for the accused. The jurors would never even get the chance to deliberate. 72-year-old Johnson was released and returned to Mississippi. Frustrated and questioning the criminal court's ability to provide justice, Doris's family said they were considering filing a civil suit against the man. The directed verdict of acquittal meant that Willie James Johnson can never be tried again for the 1970 murder of Doris Lorreen Rivers, and the case remains officially unsolved. If you have any information about the murder of Doris Lorreen Rivers, please contact Crime Stoppers of El Paso at 915-556-8477. Don't forget to stick around for a trailer for our friend Bernadette's podcast, Murderific. The El Paso Times, the Houston Chronicle, and the El Paso Herald Post were used as sources for this episode. If you'd like to become a supporter of Gone Cold, 
you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gone cold podcast. There are several varying donation levels to choose from there with perks to go along with each, including ad free listening at all levels. Donations help us cover the costs of research and production, and we can't thank y'all enough for your support. Thanks for listening, y'all. Maine, the northernmost state in America, usually thought of as a quaint, safe vacation destination. Our motto is, the way life should be. But did you know serial killer John Joseph Jobert was raised in Maine and was convicted of three stabbing murders of young boys? Or the unsolved abduction of baby girl Ayla Reynolds, supposedly stolen from her bed near Christmas 2011. Her body has never been found. These are just two of the main stories Murderific has covered. We cover crimes from all areas and main cases as well. Murderific True Crime Podcast, hosted by me, Bernadette, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or go to murderific.com. We will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.